The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings Podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. There's something evil locked behind that podcast. That's very generic and very spooky at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, I actually had a hard time finding a line for this one. But yeah, today we are talking about the 2019 film I Trap the Devil. Which was a fun find for me. I was at home alone. Just with my demons, Pazuzu came over for some coffee, had some cookies with Beelzebub, looking for a spooky flick to watch, and I found this on Hulu. Wait, 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 Pazuzu came over for coffee and not pea soup? You know it, he's branching out, living his Mm. best life. (laughs) And I saw this on Hulu, and I don't know about you, Nathaniel, but I'm kind of a sucker for just browsing through the horror sections of every single streaming service that I own. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert, Disney Plus does not have a very expansive horror section. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) much just uh, Watcher in the Woods, and that's about it. And usually I'll watch their little freebie trailer, and within about 10 seconds I know if it's going to be a dud or not. I watched this, and I was very surprised by the trailer, And I turned it on and finished the movie, and I I was kind of shocked at how good this was. Yeah, I I quite enjoyed it. You recommended it to me. I decided to to pick it up because you mentioned something about Christmas. It seemed applicable for us this time of year. So, So yeah, it is set in December. That is our justification for having it this time of year. I mean, we we don't really need to justify our, our movie choices to you, but... It seems like you know a lot of of the other horror podcasts are specifically going along with you know one of the Santa themed slashers or the new Black Christmas, which we'll hopefully be able to to check out and maybe have as our next episode. We'll have to see, but yeah, we decided to do something a little bit from a, a different angle that still is is set at this time of year. You watch TV, listen to the news. Things are changing. Right before our eyes. Something is coming. I know you felt it. It's such a solid movie that it was actually up for our horror awards we did in October. Um, I nominated it for Best Occult, and I was not the only one who nominated it because its IMDb score was fairly good. It's It's not very good anymore yeah i just pulled my imdb up as well which is it's fine i mean we gotta keep in mind that imdb is not just horror fans watching these movies yeah and so you know it the the reception at least on metacritic and imdb it's it's right around let's see 47 metascore 4.8 on imdb 
Uh, it's pretty decent on Rotten Tomatoes, if I remember correctly. To be brutally honest, those are probably fairly accurate. It's not a perfect film by any means. There's a lot of faults that we'll talk about. I think the reason I was so drawn to it, though, is it is very original. And it's a unique idea about devils and demons and kind of this... Uh, kind of psychological horror behind it all which i don't know i was really into it and again it's set during christmas time so anything that can execute christmas and demons in a very well way is i'm into that <laughs> yeah it seems like the reception of this is is very mixed but i mean yeah rotten tomatoes but at 75 percent freshness for critics that's not bad but yeah let's let's talk about what we liked about it um, I think it might be helpful to give people just a quick, brief plot synopsis. The synopsis of this one is very easy. It is! All right, so there's this man and his wife. They decide to visit the man's brother for Christmas time. To make they the simple, to... the man and the wife are named Matt and Karen. Thank the brother you. is named Steve. So Matt and Karen go into Steve's house for Christmas. Um, there's been some sort of family drama that is throughout that you're not 100% sure what's going on. Steve is definitely mentally ill. Uh, there seems to be a lot of schizophrenia, paranoia kind of going on. He takes them down to the basement and finally confesses that a lot of his paranoia is coming from this giant door he has in his basement where he says that he has trapped the devil behind that door. And the really creepy thing about it is that there is a voice coming behind the door. And it's a very um, broken... Dark, scary voice. <laughs> um, not originally. Uh, it's very innocent, very like scared, and please help me, this man has trapped me here against my will. The door is moving, so it definitely appears that there is someone there. And so as the movie progresses, you kind of learn that Steve's character has been tracking evil for years and years and honestly believes that he's found the root of all evil, which is my best bro, the devil. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so so then the, the question is, you know, do Matt and Karen believe Steve that he has the devil trapped behind the door, not just some innocent man? You know, they don't know how long he's been there. They don't know how he trapped him or anything like that uh, and so it's them trying to navigate what to do now um, and and uh, throughout the movie we also kind of have it revealed that the big traumatic thing that uh, Steve has been alone you know trying to cope with since or you know and, and that's why they had to come and kind of force their way in uh, was that Steve's family uh, died in a, in a terrible it sounds like maybe hit and run kind of accident yeah um, and yeah, so, you know, his wife and kids are dead. And so, you know, he's been really messed up ever since then. Uh, but, but yeah, but Steve is trying to, to really justify what's going on. You know, he shows, yeah, documentation that he's he's made that, hey, it seems like now that I've trapped this guy, maybe some of the evil in the world is going away. You know, some people who have been, you know, kidnapped or, you know, ran away are starting to come home. Like, maybe... Maybe this is the turning point, but he's convinced that something is going to try to come in to keep or to to, to set the devil free, uh, and and we also get a lot of creepy stuff going on. You know, we have the constant random phone calls that he just picks up the phone. He doesn't say anything. He just listens, 
and he puts it back down. And then also, like, there's uh, static on the TV, and occasionally you see flickers of his his wife dying, which it takes a while to realize that that's what that is. Um, and just, you know, sort of weird, creepy nightmare imagery in the static, which is really kind of cool. And also, all of this is kind of overlaid with the Christmas motif, which I think adds to the atmosphere for this movie. You know, Christmas is such a holly jolly time of the year, and we're talking about the root of all evil. Uh, and so it's this weird juxtaposition that really kind of gets under your skin and makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Similar to the Krampus songs that we talked about in our Krampus episode last year, that they're these iconic classic songs that everybody loves except Nathaniel. And they're kind <laughs> of flipped on their head and they really become discomforting. And it, it, this movie does that a very good way as well. You know, there's a lot of shots of just the Christmas tree or kind of this eerie light that is being radiated from Christmas lights. And it, it takes that holiday spirit and turns it into something negative. It reminds me a lot of like the fear of clowns that we talked about a few episodes where, you know, clowns are supposed to make you happy. They're supposed to make you laugh, but there's always this uneasy feeling behind your, those, that makeup that you, you just don't like, and you want it to be happy and friendly and you want the holiday spirit to come back. And I, I think this movie did it very well. I was quite pleased with, with that sometimes it can get a little overwhelming or even a little forced but i think i trapped the devil did it in a palatable way okay yeah I, that was actually something that you know was kind of one of my takeaway questions after i watched the movie was you know why set it at christmas time but yeah when you bring that up and kind of the more i think about it the more i i agree that it was a good choice for the film because you know, kind of at the end of the day, it's it's a time where, yeah, if, if this were any other genre of film, this would be how their family can, you know, overcome something hard and, and be reunited. And, you know, we, we you know, it, it would be very, you know, heartwarming Hallmark movie. But, but with this, it takes that idea and then it just says, OK, but what if it was just worse than you thought? <laughs> And then, oh, oh, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as the night progresses. And it's just, yeah, it, it really adds to a lot of tension and does really make for some very, like, visually stunning, creepy shots where, yeah, everything is in, in red or green because that's what the Christmas lights up. You well, know, that's, that's what it's doing. I think it's also kind of fun with the devil motif is that Christmas nowadays, of course, is all about the birth of Jesus Christ. And so you have this story about the root of all evil overlaid on top of the story of the birth of all good. And so that kind of tension there really sets the mood for the movie and makes some of the negative things that we'll talk about. You don't care as much about them because you're engaged in this kind of spectacle of oh, I should be happy it's the birth of Jesus, but also his naughty older brother is trapped behind the door. Uh, yeah, well... Oh, I love it. I loved it. Yeah, and, and in some ways, it's also like a weird reversal of like, okay, so you expect Santa to come through the chimney yeah. instead of Satan being stuck in the basement. Exactly. Just just transpose those letters, boom, you're good. Um, and later on, I think we should definitely talk about why... Um, Christmas is a good medium for horror movies. You know, in our last episode about Pilgrim, we talked about some of the challenges of the holiday of Thanksgiving. Uh, I think Christmas has a lot more going for it as far as horror. 
Um, but before we get there, let's let's talk about the good of this movie because there's a lot. Yeah. So, kind of the the big thing that jumps out to me as as being successful in this film is that it does a pretty good job of kind of keeping you on your toes of whether or not Steve is you know has actually trapped the devil or is he just crazy. Yeah, because it gives you enough reason to maybe believe either for a good chunk of the movie. I would say it may make that reveal a little bit earlier than I want to, to kind of you know emphasize, hey, maybe it really is the devil. But as a whole, I liked kind of questioning for it for the that especially kind of the opening tension of the film, you know, really not knowing what is behind there. Yeah, um, I would agree with you. I think the reveal was a little sudden and too early, but I really do believe that the entire movie, you don't know what's going on. Is this a psychological thriller and this guy is just paranoid schizophrenic? Or is it a supernatural movie slash occult movie and there is the embodiment of the devil behind the door? And I think a big part of what kept that engine kind of going was the dialogue. I thought the actors, while not perfect and there were kind of hit and miss, their dialogue really kind of was the gas behind that engine. Agreed. They, they don't give away too much information. They let you think for yourself. They let you fill in the blanks. And I thought it was very authentic. You know, um, Steve and his brother, was it Matt? Matt, yeah. Um, I thought their dialogue that they had as brothers was very real. I mean, it, it didn't feel scripted. It didn't feel forced or contrived. It, it felt very much like two brothers would, would talk. Agreed. Yeah, and, and what I liked about that dialogue is also, like, they didn't ever address the elephant in the room directly. Because that's mm -hmm. not how people talk. Right. You don't say... Hey, your family's dead. You're grieving. I'm really worried about you. You don't say that out loud. You say, "Oh, we've been we've been thinking about you. Are you okay? How are you doing alone in this house? How are you like have you we're, been working? We're you know, praying like, for you." Yeah, everything around actually directly saying, "Hey, I'm really worried because like it would mess me up real bad and I can tell you're messed up, but I don't know how bad it is." Well, how, and how do I gauge that? That's something that I appreciated from you substantially. When I was going through my divorce, I'd hear so many times from people of like, oh, it gets better. Uh, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And Nathaniel, you would just be like, yeah, it sucks. Are you okay today? And uh, it's just different. You know, yeah. there's... there's... And, and, and I think that inherently points to like what what works in this film in that right. they don't have that relationship right now. Exactly. And so they couldn't be that direct with each other. While, you know, if you're close with someone, if you're maintaining that relationship, then you can have that level of directness. Which adds to that authenticity of estranged brothers. And Matt's wife, Karen, is also kind of pulled into this political correct type of dialogue where she doesn't know probably the full story um, she is not the family member, so she's kind of biased in her opinions, and she kind of treats him like a wounded animal for a majority of the show. Almost, I don't want to say coddling, because that's probably not the right verb, but very 
kind of stereotypical how we treat mental health people, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then, I mean, to give her credit, though, part of what worked for her as a character that I, I really liked was the fact that you could tell that the brother, Matt, he, he would rather not be there. Yes. He would rather, you know, just hope that the, the that it gets solved on its own. But she pushed him into saying, okay, we need to go visit your brother. And so I, I liked that you can kind of see her as a driving force of like, no, like this is what it means to be a family. And so I liked that, uh, even though, you know, definitely all the characters have their flaws. But like, yeah, it, it made the characters interesting and compelling and, and, you know, more realistic to watch. They were definitely very fleshed out, and especially in terms of the writing. of. And we'll get to their kind of acting a little bit. And I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I do want to talk about how well I thought the cinematography was done in this movie. When they go to the basement, it's almost like a red room that early photographers, maybe a few of our listeners don't even know what those are. Whoa, that makes me feel old all of a sudden. So in the basement, it almost looked like a red room. A lot of harsh shadows and really the only light was this intense red. And so it illuminated the main characters substantially. It almost kind of gave them shadows behind their eyes. I felt that that was done with a lot of intent there. Because, you know, you think devil, you do think cloven hooves and red skin and horns. And so that red room kind of a, an aesthetic really assisted in that imagery. And then you have this door with this quiet whisper. It's very sultry and please help me. And, and there's just, a big freaking cross on it. Yeah, it ugh, was so good. It creeped me out when we first figured out that he had something trapped behind that door. I was all eyes on the TV. I was into it. It was so good. So good. Yeah, I definitely feel like the actor who played this, you know, mysterious figure behind the door, uh, they, they credit him as the man. And the actor is Chris Sullivan, who I get, I, I know I've seen by walking past my wife watching This Is Us is, is a, an actor from that. But yeah, he was so good at, at being very creepy when he needed to be, but also like very gentle and coaxing and, and so worried and scared and... I, I, I don't know, I just felt like he did a lot with just the, the very simple voice acting that he did. And this I want to make note of because I, I watch a lot of demon movies. I have a lot of demon stuff in my house. Um, what, you? I know, Sacre Bleu. The two most iconic devil portrayed in a movie, I'm not quite sure how to state this though, would be this character, the man in I Trapped the Devil, and black philip in the witch and it wasn't cloven hooves red skin and horns it wasn't a cloaked figure with red eyes it wasn't even a man it was a small quiet voice that whispered and was very sultry and inviting but at the same time you knew that there was something else behind the words poison velvet yeah, I love that, and that needs to be a new band name. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I would depict the devil if I really believed in the devil. Like, not this loud, cacophonous monster, you know, who you have to crawl through his belly button to get out of hell, <laughs> but this suave, kind of sultry jazz musician whispering in your ear. Ugh! Gives me the heebie-jeebies. 
I, I, I definitely want to underline that as well because yeah, I feel like so often the portrayals of the devil is either yeah some some creepy monster you know think Tim Curry and legend that kind of thing yeah or we have like just like an unconvincing kind of gross like fifty year old man who like like uh, the devil in the Constantine film which <laughs> like. Like, I like the movie, but I don't like that portrayal of the devil because it's like, to me, he is not going to trick me into anything. Yeah, I want him to be handsome, alluring. You, you want to, to listen to the devil. You want to, you know, sometimes feel sympathy for the devil or, you know, whatever and it needs right to be for the situation. So sympathy for the devil, I think, is the key phrase there that what we're talking about and what these movies have done have made you feel that in the movie like especially in this movie you don't know if there's someone trapped behind the door you're a little bit worried of well what if it is someone we need to let them out and i think that's how the devil would get you you know it's it's that line from the witch wouldst thou like to live deliciously i mean there's nothing wrong with that but it's that temptation which again there's a key word here that you want to you want to know you want to find out you want to take a bite of that apple from the tree of good and evil yeah or if that's not working or if that's not the right thing for the situation they're going to play off whatever emotion they need to they'll play off fear he'll play off concern for other people he'll play off whatever you need to 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 you know get people to do what you want that's that's the devil by this you know tradition of of how long the devil's been around which is longer than earth you expect him to be very good at his job and a lot of times we see the devil just be kind of a mediocre trickster and i will say that sometimes some of the things that he tries in this didn't quite work as well for me but sometimes yeah you definitely get the him delivering the He's still alive. I can help you. We can save him still. We can save him when Matt is dying and he's, you know, trying to tempt Karen into letting him go. Like, I liked that, you know, where it his his tactics change depending on the situation. You know, he tries to get sympathy. He tries scaring her and intimidating her. And then he tries giving her the, her heart's desire. Whatever it is he has a strategy for it and so i like that approach and yeah so so yeah that that to me is is the key to a good devil and like you said it's so rare that we see an effective devil like that can i tell you a funny story about whispers <laughs> yes so as the amazing millennial that i am i try and go to therapy when i can everyone should um, and they've recommended meditation, and I am the absolute worst at meditation because my mind goes 500 miles an hour. And so my therapist recommended this really cool app where you can play songs. Uh, it's not songs. It's like white noise. Uh, and you can overlay that with a meditative voice. And they have all different programs. You can do one for deep sleep or anxiety or relaxation. Really, there's whatever. Um, and the app that I got, updates every week with new meditations and so as i go to bed i'll throw on a new meditation to kind of like focus on for the week and after watching this movie i started this new meditation and i didn't see that it was a whispered meditation so i get all comfy in my bed you know i'm ready to go to sleep and i hit play and the white noise starts to play and then i hear all right it's time to close your eyes. And I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. Oh, it, it scared the hell out of me. Pun intended. 
So what you're saying is that you were not into ASMR. <laughs> not at all. And it's because of Black Phillip and the man from I Trapped the Devil. Uh, Black Phillip really messed me up. We need to do an episode on the witch. Yeah, we're going to do the witch very soon. It's 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 been far too long uh, in, this ep- or in this podcast to not have have covered that film um all right talk talk to us about the tv you've got a note nathaniel saying that you really enjoyed kind of imagery behind the white static tv i just thought it worked so so yeah (laughs) this is this is the thing that you know we we see steve regularly sitting down in front of his tv you know just kind of obsessively this is almost like a part of his way of, of looking out and and trying to see what there is out there and 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 so some of the imagery like it, it might all be in his head it might be his his ptsd whatever it is um we regularly are shown what he's seeing on the screen and so it's just you know normal cloudy static like you get on a you know older tv and then you start getting like flickers of color and then you see most of the time you see a woman who is looks like she's looking around lost and then she's then um at least one of the times it had her screaming for just a flicker of a second and then later in the film we also have karen look at the uh, look at it and you see it uh, looks like a, an old man uh looks almost like santa claus actually is is from what what i read it's supposed to look like looking around it and being disoriented and stuff and so it, it's just kind of like a, a good like very trippy very simple but effective, creepy visual that I really liked. Do you think it had any sort of deeper meaning behind it at all? I think it does. I think what it is, is it's supposed to be showing, like, I think it's part of the way that the devil is exerting its influence on the house. You know, like, it's it's trapped, but it's not totally powerless. And so it's doing this to taunt Steve you know, or, you know, show him the thing that he wants the most, his wife, you know, his wife is dead. And so it's going to show him his wife. And when it's, and sometimes that, that could be a comforting image. And so, you know, maybe to try to lure him in and other times it shows him his wife and she's screaming and it's just saying like, Hey, like screw you, you have me trapped. You know, to me, it's just like a subtle way that it's still kind of getting at him. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I think it was a taunting mechanism from the devil. Yeah, and so I think with Karen, you know, with her seeing Santa, it's it's supposed to be kind of, hey, she just wanted to come. She wanted to help her husband build a bridge with, with his brother. They could have a nice Christmas, but she can't even have that. She just sees a, a haunted lost Santa. And so to me, like, that was kind of what that was being suggested there. And I, I liked it. I, I thought it was simple. It was probably super cheap to do, but it, it, it was creepy. Also, I want to pose the question, was the devil really trapped or was this all part of his ploy? Um, I think he was, in fact, trapped. I agree. I think so, too. Um, especially because of the ending of the movie. Yeah, that, that's how I felt about the ending as well as... That he had to be let go. That was actually something else I also liked is that it didn't explain everything. It didn't explain how he trapped him or how he knew it was the devil or whatever it was. He did it and, and like basically that's that's not really relevant to the story. The story is about 
what do you do if you have him trapped? Exactly. Which I thought was a smart move, because sitting and trying to explain it would have just totally detracted from the tension. One of my favorite parts about the movie itself, too, was the way the devil wins. He doesn't exert some sort of crazy supernatural power on the house. There's no head spinning around. There's no green pea soup. Uh, He eventually makes all three of the characters kill them not kill themselves but shoot each other um and again i think that lends to the devil the devil never gets his own hands dirty he's much more willing to kind of give hints and prod and poke and let others do the unfortunate terrible sin so i i really liked that that's how he won he just sat behind the door and murmured and whispered and spread his lies and got into their heads and they did the rest for him it was it was great and and that really fits uh, something that happens earlier in the film where um we have steve showing matt his giant crazy you know red string everything's connected boards you know he says hey you know i don't think that this is going to eliminate all of the evil in the world having the devil trapped but because people do bad things, you know, people have reasons to do bad things to each other that aren't just the devil whispering in their ear. But even if it, you know, d- uh, takes care of a tiny fraction of that, that's that's enough. You know, that that's still an enormous amount of good in the world. Evil being avoided in the world. He talked about that, too, about like pure evil versus learned evil, that the devil is pure evil and is kind of a sower of seeds of evil. But humans still can do evil acts of their own volition, which I thought was a very poignant point to make, especially when you talk about the devil. You know, he is the root of all evil, but that doesn't mean that someone can just be evil. Well, and so I think part of also what worked for this is that in many ways, if you look at how things play out, it really isn't as much about what the devil did to get into their heads. It was more just that they had things that made them kill each other. You know, that, that, that it was their own actions that destroyed each other, and then it was let free. And so, you know, it wasn't that he, he whispered and was like, you gotta kill your brother, you gotta kill your brother, you know, all like Amityville style, <laughs> you know, go kill your family. It was, instead, it was just them trying to do the right thing in the moment, and that resulting in horrible death and violence and, you know, sad endings and then the devil gets set free it was them trying to do the right thing that set him free and so it was the yeah the the learned evil the hey people going too extreme to defend something or whatever it is that set him free and so the devil actually really had very little to do with how they killed each other I think that's brilliant, and and that really kind of fits the thesis of the film in many ways. Overall, it was an incredibly impressive film for the director slash writer, Scott Lobo. Really excited to see what else he has in store. If this was kind of his first kind of... Yeah. I don't even know. I, I was impressed, and I'm excited to see what comes next. Oops. Or sorry, it's Josh Lobo. I put Scott Lobo because I'm losing my mind. Uh, it's okay. Tis the season. Yes, and yeah, it looks like the only other thing that he has in his IMDb was that he was in the art department for Dave Made a Maze, which is a fun movie, but like to go from that to fully directing a horror film and writing it and, you know, really 
kind of running that that show is is very impressive. It it definitely doesn't feel amateurish at all. All right, maybe let's move into some things that were not as great. Yeah, and we've kind of hinted at this, but the acting for all of the characters really felt very wooden at times. Not that the dialogue was suffering, but they just the performance uh, of the dialogue. Though. Yeah, yeah, it felt very rigid and monotonous in a sense. Yeah, they're just there was occasionally sometimes yeah where they just they they delivered lines like they were reading the script behind them instead of you know really meaning what they were saying and I think that's a shame because I feel like I've seen all of these actors in, in at least you know one or two other things I know that to me the one who bothered me the most was the character or the actor who played Matt who is A J Bowen and that's really a shame because he's really very on point in some other mumblecore horror movies. Uh, he's kind of like a go-to guy for that subgenre, and yeah, I just feel like he just didn't really bring his A game, which is kind of a shame. Even the other two characters, Matt and Karen, or excuse me, Steve and Karen. Steve, I can't remember these names. They felt bland at times, and again, the dialogue was there, and it was a very authentic dialogue, but there was a lack of energy in some parts that just kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, sometimes it was authentic. Like, you know, a lot of the things that are going to happen don't necessarily need things to be very over the top or anything like that. Being fairly flat was realistic at times, but there was times where scenes should have been more tense and they just kind of delivered it flatly and it it just didn't quite work. Kind of going into some of the story elements, I just felt like some of the regular kind of creepy things didn't ever quite gel to me. Agreed. Like, for example, there are regular phone calls from somebody that Steve keeps picking up. And he just, yeah, he doesn't say anything. He just picks it up. He listens and then he hangs up. And I I don't know how those tie in exactly just because I don't know what he's hearing. I wanted to, to hear that because, you know, with the TV, you actually get to see what he's seeing with with the phone calls. You never hear them. And that bothered me. It was creepy. It was spooky. But without that context of what they were or what was happening or why, it just kind of felt superfluous. Like, like all I wanted was just that the last time that we see him answer one of those, you get to hear it. It's fine if you don't know what it is for the first chunk of the movie because it's part of what kind of leads to the something's going on. Like he keeps getting these phone calls. It's weird. You know, he's clearly listening to something. Someone's obviously calling because other people are hearing the phone ring, and so. You just want to know what it is at least one time. You know, was it the devil again taunting him? Mm -hmm. Was it a police officer or a friend or something that we could have, a priest even maybe? Yeah, I would have wanted to know, but I didn't think it was any of those because of how ominous and spooky the, the calls were. Yeah, or to me, like it sounded like it was either that it was the devil who was just, you know, trying to taunt him from downstairs still. Or it was something else that was just, like, you know, whispering. Like, it, it could have been mindless whispering, for all I know, but it could have just been... Because it, it seemed like he's, he took the phone calls as a sign that whatever it was was getting closer to him. Yeah. That was, you know, going to try to set the devil free. And so I just, I, I wanted to know what that was. And I also just wanted to have a clearer idea of what this ex- outside forces that he's so afraid of. And and I liked that like it ended up just being that they destroy each other and that's how it gets free instead of something else that just you know bursts through the windows and just starts, you know, killing them all or something. I just wanted to see in his thought process a little bit more once we really do have a pretty 
good understanding as an audience that it is the devil. Um, another issue I had is this is not a found footage film, and sometimes the camera felt very jerky and wobbly and kind of all over the place. It wasn't terrible, but there were moments where I was just like, all right, let's pick a point and focus on that point. Come on. Yeah, and and I guess along those lines, also sometimes the lighting, you know, even though it, like we had the really dramatic, interesting like red lights, sometimes it was too dark still, and it was just hard to tell what was going on, and it just kind of made certain moments very confusing, and sometimes they would also like talk about something on the wall, and then it would never pan to the wall, and it made me mad. It's like very eclectic decor, and there, and you can see the characters staring at you know where basically the camera is, and you expect the camera to turn, but it never does, and you're like, you can't just like tell me that something's scared, like weird or creepy or bizarre, and then never to like point the camera at it. That's just annoying. And I think maybe they were trying to add a level of insecurity or discomfort, kind of like in Midsummer, where you pan on a very gruesome scene for a few seconds longer than you probably want to but it didn't work for this movie it, it took away from the horror well to me it, it it did almost the opposite where it it would say there's something that's weird and then it never showed it to you and you're like instead of lingering on it too long and really getting under your skin that way instead it just made you go i want to know what is the creepy thing or the weird thing please show me please another thing i had some issues with it is the plot was good it was original but there was a lot of holes and it was fairly confusing there was a gun in just a random dresser upstairs that i thought kind of felt like oh here's a pistol oh here's a pistol (laughs) like it just i mean they definitely very much went into the kind of Chekhov. here's the gun on the mantle Uh, yeah (laughs) and i mean to an extent, like, I, I was okay with there being the gun, just in that, like, he he is afraid that something's going to come in and that he has to defend himself. But I just wanted it to be a little less, they Here's know he has a gun! Well, like, I wouldn't have minded had the gun been in his, like, conspiracy room. Or yeah. next to the phone, even. Or in the kitchen. But in this random bedroom off the hallway of the stairs, there's just this gun. Like, And maybe the devil put it there. Who knows? Or, you know what actually would have worked really well for me? Is mm-hmm. if Karen found a box of bullets, but they didn't know where the gun was. And it's on him the whole time, and we know that, but they don't know that. That yeah. would have been a lot more tense. I also felt like... While there were some holes to the family story and we didn't really 100% understand what had happened, I would have liked to know a little bit more. What caused Stephen to go on this crusade to find the devil? Was it because of the events with his family or was it some psychotic break after the family? Did he think the devil was involved with the death of his family? Like, where did this kind of paranoia about Satan himself come from? I would have, I, I wanted to know. Well, it did address one of those things. He he did say that the person who killed his family in the wreck, he, he specifically said that that person was not acting under the influence of the devil. Hmm, I must have missed that. It, it was a very quick line in the, you know, conspiracy room. But I, I thought that was an interesting choice, because then it kind of begs the question, so... Yeah, how did you get into this rabbit hole of, okay, so this is what the devil's doing, I trapped the devil, that whole thing. And to an extent, 
part of me likes that because I don't need to have all the answers. But there are things that are confusing that I just didn't feel like were as satisfying as they ought to have been because they were confusing. Like, there's a, a moment near the end of the film where Steve has a vision of his wife and it, you know, it's not in just the static. We actually, like, full-on see her and he tries to interact with her and, and he's like, it's not real, you're not there. And then he, like, points the gun at her and then it c- cuts to he's actually pointing the gun at his brother and Karen. And so I just didn't understand why we needed that vision um, also, like, in the final action, you know, we have some cops that come in because presumably there was calls about the gunshots. They come in. Karen is on the ground bleeding. She's the only one that's still alive because she shot Steve after he stabbed Matt for trying to get into the door. Like, yeah, one of the cops comes down the stairs and she shoots him, which, you know, that that's fine. But then I guess he shot her back and I didn't really realize that. And so it... I don't know. It just kind of made some stuff a little bit confusing. Han and... shot first, Nathaniel. But what about... <laughs> Sorry, Star Wars comes out this Friday. I had to make a Star Wars reference. But what about Alan slash cop number two versus Karen? Karen shot first. Who knows? We'll never know. Yeah. I don't know, just the, There were some things in the action that just were kind of confusing, and so I just didn't quite follow that. And so that like that was just kind of a shame. And, like, I like the actress who played the the dead wife. Uh, she is from uh, House of the Devil. She's the main character in that. But, yeah, it was just kind of like she just, like, was randomly there. It, it, it honestly, I think, would have worked better if we just still had more of her in the static instead of just, like, a full-on vision. He's being tricked into killing or almost killing his brother. Unless that worked for you. I don't know. Overall, I, that is essentially all I had negative to say about the film. Again, it's a, a very solid, you know, good movie and it wasn't very violent it wasn't very vulgar even mm-hmm. um it was a pretty rock solid horror yeah i liked it a lot so should we give our ratings then i have a few questions yes do you think it was the devil in the movie yeah yeah so do i my next question is why is the devil such a horrific thing for us He's been around for as long as everyone can remember. Why in movies does he still make us so uncomfortable? Because he's supposed to be the ultimate incarnation of evil. But he's been around for so long and there's so much evil out there in the world. Why Mm -hmm. is the supernatural entity of darkness and evil, why is he scarier than our own president or Hitler or some of these crazier villains that are physical and have done actual damage in the world? Because, you know, he's the one who led all of those bad people toward making those actions. He's the ultimate evil. You know, and, and, and I like that That in, in many times uh, we see him as a sort of intangible force, which I think is the right choice to go with. It's that he has that influence and that practice and that allows him to tempt even the most saintly of saints and the <laughs> most evil base monsters and, you know, they all hear his whispers and sometimes do what he wants. And so that's scary. I think that's interesting because, yeah, he's the ultimate. All he wants is to make us miserable like him. That's that's that idea that I think is so pervasive and, and creepy. Because, yeah, like, what, what could be worse than, than something that has nothing to lose and really all it gains is making you miserable but that's the closest thing it ever has to happiness 
Yeah, and I'll definitely give you that. I think if you see him as kind of the man pulling the strings or woman, the devil can be a woman too. Um, or or just, you know, showing the road of, of, of where, where you could go. Exactly. How bad you can get. All right. So as far as screams, I gave this movie a five. It's good. It's not perfect. It's solid. It's right in the middle. I think it's great. I'm going to give it four screams. It, it was, it was very creepy at times, but it never really outright scared me. And then as far as crowns go, I gave it an eight. I really enjoyed this film. It takes a lot to scare me when it comes to demons and demonology. I'm a very harsh critic. And I think this show did a lot right as far as depicting the devil and depicting what his ultimate goal is. I'm going to give it seven crowns. It's just a little less strong than I wanted it to be just at certain points. It's it's a very good movie. I like it a lot. I'm definitely willing to watch it again. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just think that, you know, there are, are places where him being, where Josh Lobo being a, you know, first timer, there were just a few weaknesses. And I think, you know, I'm really excited to see what he has in the future, though, because I think any future offerings are just going to get better and better. I agree. I think he's going to be one to watch. One thing that I'll also say is that I feel like kind of this paranoid, are they crazy or not crazy kind of film really works for me. I I love that kind of thing where where I'm, as an audience member, not sure and and characters are not sure and things like that. Uh, I would say that a movie that does this even better is They Look Like People. Oh, yeah. You were mentioning this when we were talking about what we were going to do for this episode. And I swear I showed you this movie, but maybe I didn't. And I'm just crazy. But maybe it's the devil. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's it's just another movie that really kind of plays with that. Is this person crazy or are they not? But it, I, I think it did a better job of that because until the very end of the movie, you don't ever quite know for sure. And I think that type of a movie needs to be more populous. I really love that suspense. I think Midsummer Hereditary do it very well, probably better mm-hmm. than either of those. And I, I want more of that. I think horror fans such as yourself and I and a lot of the more kind of veteran horror fans appreciate those movies because the scares are more intense. They're not graphic or vulgar, and they don't need to be because the subtle horror sometimes is the best way to scare someone. Yeah, if you can have me at the end, at the edge of my seat without having anyone dying, or you know, even if there are you know some deaths, but you know, but but the tension is more: what is real? How can I know? What what are they going to do? That to me is is much more effective in terms of being scary and interesting and tense than you know a slasher where just you know, okay, are they going to die? Oh, they got gutted. Not to say that there's not a place for the other, but I just feel like. The effective scares, there's just definitely a, a, a reason why one of those works better for me than the other. I'd agree. All right, so should we have a fun little occult corner about the devil? Yeah, can I talk about my best bro, Satan? Who you don't actually believe in? <laughs> um, I do, Satan, if you're listening. Just not in a physical sense. <laughs> All right, let's 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 talk about the devil. Who is the devil? What's his backstory? Well, I know what I know, but you know, I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, this idea of the devil it comes from, of course, the Christian Bible, and unfortunately, 
I don't want to step on any religion's toes in my occult corner, but I'll probably be very academic and maybe rather skeptical about his existence, but that's okay. Really, the idea of Satan comes from Western Christianity, and it's really complicated to find a good case for him from the original text source, which is the Bible, because there's a lot of confusion between Satan and Lucifer. In the religion I was born and raised in, I was taught that Lucifer was an angel who lived with God, who rebelled against him and took a third of the hosts of heaven and was kicked out of heaven, basically, mm. and turned into Satan. So essentially, Lucifer is Satan. Satan is Lucifer. They're the same person. My religion also taught that Jehovah is Jesus. So this idea of having two names was very ubiquitous. Yeah. And actually, that's fairly popular for a lot of mainstream Christianity, that Satan was Lucifer before he fell into hell, and he was an angel, and his sin is so great because he was with God. He was the brother of Jesus, essentially, and he decided to choose sin over God. And Lucifer, and, and Lucifer means the morning star, you know, and he was a very high-ranking angel in heaven. Yeah, above archangel. Dominions and seraphs and cherubim and, and all of these very classical Christian kind of symbols. However, the problem comes where you go back to the source material, the Old and New Testament. When you go to the Old Testament, you find Lucifer in one section in Isaiah, and that's it. They don't mention him anymore. And when you look at some of the original texts of the Old Testament, Lucifer is actually a Latin term. So this isn't even a term that was first identified in Hebrew. And the challenge that you face is that Hebrew term for adversary, which is then later translated into Satan, is found in the New Testament almost exclusively. Mm -hmm. And so you have this Roman motif, and there are tons of myths in Roman mythology about a light bringer, um, or kind of this entity of light that helps things progress, or helps enlighten, or helps inspire and then you have this adversary character who God enlists to help um, challenge Job. That is technically Satan. And then you have Lucifer in Isaiah, who very well may just be uh, imagery that Isaiah was using to describe a king or a prince in the area. And so what does this mean? A lot of, as we've talked about in other episodes, a lot of myths in the area were kind of conflated with Christianity at the time to ease people into this giant shift of religion. It was a very diplomatic way to conquer culture. Um, and so they, they've kind of made this hybrid character of Lucifer and Satan and have pulled a lot of imagery from the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, which are both non-canonical books of the Bible that were just not approved of in the Council of Nicaea. Um, so the story of Satan taking the third hosts of heaven is actually from the book of Enoch found in the Apocrypha. Um, you, you don't find that in the Bible itself. Um, uh, it's in the book of Revelation a little bit. But again, the book of Re Revelation is so symbolic and full of imagery, you don't know what is what. Um, so, I mean... It so, all so, comes I mean, down like, to what you believe, you know. Yeah, yeah, and 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 definitely, you know, I'll, as someone who is a, a member of that religion that you know you were a part of, and and so you know, 
you kind of reference my my beliefs you know it's it's really interesting to look at that and say you know yeah like there are things from the uh apocrypha and pseudepigrapha that i i definitely think maybe should be in uh scriptural canon uh and there's also things that you know i think are cuckoo bananas and i think there's also some <laughs> things in in the bible that maybe don't belong there like the song of solomon for example so i think it's really interesting how it's just kind of there's a lot of stuff out there and it's hard to parse you know what should or shouldn't be canon and yeah like a lot of the decisions made at the council of nicaea were extremely political in nature and so so yeah like how how much bearing should that have on the belief system i i find that whole thing very interesting it, again, comes down to what you believe, and I don't want to attack anyone's belief or religion. I oh, yeah. love religion. For me, though, the evidence is clearly there that this is this Lucifer and Satan kind of construct is very human driven, and I think it is very fascinating that if you look at the demons in charge of the seven deadly sins, Lucifer is kind of in charge of the sin of pride, and Satan is in charge of the sin of wrath. So they've actually separated and created two different identities for two different sins. And, and for me, that took a long time to kind of figure out because I was raised in the same religion where Lucifer was Satan. Yeah, and isn't that isn't that basically how how it's manifested in a lot of the kind of more expanded uh, Catholic writings of, of like the the breakdown of hell and how Satan is the king of hell and Lucifer is one of the princes. And that's kind of where I was going as well, um, that really this idea of the fall of Lucifer turning into Satan was kind of made immortal through Dante's Inferno as well as John Milton's Paradise Lost. Um, both of those books had a huge and profound effect on this idea of hell and the imagery of Satan. And so it, it's all interconnected and I could go on and on and on and talk about it because I love demons. I love demonology and the culture behind it. And it's just fascinating to me that this one myth about the devil and Satan is so much deeper than we sometimes give it credit for. And I, mm -hmm. it's fascinating, too, that if you read a lot of modern Satanism, they do worship Lucifer as an angel, this being of light. And I've done some rituals that actually invoke his name because there's a lot of groups out there and neo-pagans who do consider Lucifer to be an angel, that he's still this being of light and hope. Um, and so, again, that kind of comes back to this idea that it's all relative. It's all based on what you believe. And if you're not hurting anyone with those beliefs and you're, you feel uplifted and you feel happy, go for it. But if you hear whispers behind a door tell you to kill somebody, maybe there's something wrong with that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I mean, again, I could go on and on and on and on and on about demons, but I won't for this episode. Just wait until we talk about my favorite demons. We haven't even scratched the surface, guys. <laughs> you you oh. have no idea. All right. Should we do our stay spooky segments, Nathaniel, before our listeners get too tired of us? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, I kind of want to do a stay spooky in a different way. For me, I just watched the original Black Christmas a few days ago, and I was stunned. It was made in 1974. I had never seen it before. It is such a solid movie. It's 
one of the first point of view slasher films. It talks about feminism and rape and abortion and all of these incredibly intense, heavy topics. For a film made in the 70s, I was mind blown. It's incredibly progressive, a very dark story. It's fairly horrific. Um, I'm really excited to talk about it in our next episode. If you haven't watched Black Christmas, take the time, go see it. Great horror movie. Absolutely great. And that's it. Okay, so for my Staying Spooky segment, um, I wanted to talk about... I'm just going to reference a book that I read recently, and this is actually going to come up in a really fun way in an upcoming episode. But So 70s horror has never been my favorite era of horror in a lot of ways it's probably my least favorite for a lot of uh, 70s horror films i just you know i picked them up i didn't like them for me you know anything older than that you know we get the some of the classics you know the hammer movies and and vincent price and christopher lee and and you know or, or the universal stuff and then after that you know we're getting into the kind of the the big golden age of of horror with the 80s and, and and everything that's come after but you know the 70s was kind of like a sour spot in the genre for me for a long time uh, but i read a book recently called shock value by jason zinneman and uh, it really made me rethink uh, a lot of the value of 70s horror so i definitely recommend picking that up and in fact if you want to to read that as some homework we will soon have the author jason zinneman uh, on the podcast so we will yeah have him share some some thoughts about 70s horror and and why it's such an important era so uh, i really enjoyed reading it i i love you know kind of seeing behind the scenes of you know what goes into making horror and and you know, just yeah making the things i love and so this did a, a really good job of, of showing me things that I thought was absolutely fascinating and also really giving me a, a, a lot of reason to, to really rethink my views on 70s horror. All right. Well, anything else? I challenge everyone to go and attempt to trap the devil for this Christmas time. But instead of behind a door, trap him in a box, a Christmas present. Maybe mail it to me. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> And stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at Scream Kings Podcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.